It seemed like a good idea at the time. Three days in ultimate seclusion. The flakes that started to fall on your way were hardly worth notice. But now the polar vortex is locked over Canada and, as the drifts creep up to the windows, you feel foolish being miles and miles from any neighbor or route plowed by a road commission. The generator ran out of gas yesterday. But there's plenty of lamp oil and wood for the stove. Surprisingly, your call for help was met with something like joy. An acquaintance has a snowmobile with enough gas for a one-way trip. They're bringing people, food, supplies, beverages, and, if they heard your plea as the last milliamp slipped from your phone, games. That's right, soon you'll be Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon. Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon is a discussion with Northwest Michigan residents about life, the pursuit of happiness, and the four tabletop games they'd like to get stuck with in a fictitious snowpocalypse. I'm your host, Jim Moratsky, and today, across the interwebs, as we all keep our social distance, we're joined by Corbin Wagner. Corbin, welcome to Snowmageddon. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here. So my first question always is, how difficult was it for you to choose the four games that you've chosen to bring to Snowmageddon, and what criteria did you use for those? From what I, the, the games that I know, it was hard to choose from, um, which obviously from what I, I understand there's a lot of board games that exist um, and my knowledge of them isn't vast. So it was hard to choose within the cat or within the games that I knew, but I don't know too terribly many in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, that was, that helped a little bit. Uh, my criteria essentially was just play, like replayability. Like how long could you play it without uh, being bored? And then one thing that always kind of gets me is um, I like things that poke the brain. So if it pokes my brain and it works me uh, mentally, then it was it was a good game to have for a long period of time. Great. So the scenario here is that you're out at a place away from civilization and there's a major snowstorm and you're kind of stuck in solitude for a little while until folks come to rescue you. But um, is that something that you would do yourself? Would you, do you ever go out and seek solitude or, or are you more of a social need to be around civilization person? Uh, I could, I can do both. Uh, every now and then, yeah, I do just try to kind of hunker up in my, you know, and for me, it's just hunker up in my room and just be like, ignore anybody else. Um, Cause I live with family while I go to school. So it's, I stay in my room and just ignore everyone. Cause sometimes, People aren't my thing. <laughs> okay, that's good. All right, so your first game is a social game, one that you can play with a large group and have fun with. It was first published in 1988 by Milton Bradley, and this is Scattergories. Why do you hope that Scattergories is available in Snowmageddon? Oh, scatter so Scattergories for me is my favorite board game, um, which is not one I hear a lot when you go, hey, what's your favorite board game? Personally, I just I love the or the idea of I, I, again it's that picking of the brain thing. It's just being quick with your thoughts. Um, I, I like you identify the objects um, that you know fit said category, and it's one of the things that can be manipulated, which is another thing I guess in my mind that I like. You know, you can take the rules in the game, and those have their limits. So it's always fun to put um, house rules, as they're called, and I think scattergories is one where you can do that a lot. And you can also create your own categories. So it's just one that I think has a lot of uh, potential if you're in terms of the long term. So if anybody out there hasn't really played this before, could you just talk about what the premise of the game is, how it works in general? 
Yeah, that was the kind of what I was wondering uh, if anybody knew it or if that would be described. But uh, the premise of the game is you have, I believe it's 12 categories. Um, so you get a list of categories um, and you roll a die. So the die, I believe it's a 20-sided die, has 20 different letters on it. And so what you'll have to do once you roll that die, you'll get a letter. And then you have to identify in each category something that starts with that letter. So let's say the category is food and you roll a G, then you would write grapes. Um, you are obviously have some sort of time limit. And then at the end, you compare your answers with whomever's playing with you. So say you're playing with four people, somebody, you write grapes, somebody writes uh, go-gurt, another person writes grapes, and then somebody writes goat. Because you, and and so the rule is you have to have something unique. So the person, the two people who wrote grapes, that wouldn't count as a point. The other two would get a point. And then you would continue through the list. I ordinarily so, play with about six lists in a row. Um, so you do the six lists and you add up the total points at the end. And that's how you would gauge one. Okay. So do you need to know a lot of obscure words to play this game or normal uh, words okay? <laughs> yeah, it's it's normal words. Uh, person when I play it, I'm I'm kind of uh, I play it interestingly, so I'll try to um, manipulate it a lot. So I remember once I was playing it and uh, it was states and the letter was like H, I think is what it was. And I or it was T, and then I put uh, tranquil for states and you know you're thinking that's not a state, you know, it's a state of mind. Um, so that was a big argument that we had. Is like, does that count? It it ought to count. That's that's a good creative way of dealing with that. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I was I was shut down very quickly. Oh really? Oh, that's too bad. I do that. I, I do that a lot though. So like I I bend those a lot. Okay. So a lot of social games like this, you just kind of keep playing along, and nobody pays that much attention to the score. But do you? Do you pay attention to scoring in, in this game? Do you like winning it, or does that matter? Or? Um, I do pay attention to the score. So I was talking about it earlier, the, the scoring is based on having unique answers, and then however many unique answers you have at the end of however many rounds you do is kind of how you would determine said score. And um, I enjoy keeping score um, just because I'm, I'm kind of uh, kind of competitive, so it's um, just fun for me to do so. The actual winning of the game doesn't really matter that much to me. It's just it's just fun. I think competition adds an aspect of, of uh, entertainment to it. So let's talk a little bit about beginnings. Uh, where were you or when did you start playing games? My family and I played uh, games a lot. And so like a, a family favorite of ours is Monopoly, which is, I don't know, I, I think arguably the most famous board game. It's up there. Absolutely. It is the most famous board game. Is it? Okay. The, the, most, the most sold board game anyway. I, I don't know how you would say famous, but the most yeah, sold okay. for sure. Yeah. So that's, you know, a fairly favorite of ours. And so we would play as a, as a group. My grandfather and I would play when we would go visit him. Just something we got into. And then we've kind of expanded since then. So um, we would play. It's all the, kind of the classics. We don't play a lot of the intricate or the, or I don't want to say intricate, but um, lesser known games. Uh, it was always kind of the stuff that was really well known. So you had your, your monopolies, your risks. Say uh, Yahtzee was another one that we played. So just kind of those uh, basic, you know, standard family household games that we would play together. With Monopoly, did you play the standard version, or was there a particular themed version that, that you guys liked more? I know there's like Star Wars Monopoly and all that kind of thing. Oh, there's all kinds of Monopolies. It's it's ridiculous how many there are. We Yes, I've played the standard. It's kind of where I started. Um, and then we branched off into the different themed ones. If you branch off into another themed one, it's, it's nice when the theme has some rules to it. 
So like, I think the latest one they came out with was Miss Monopoly, which is like a monopoly to that gives women a little bit of an advantage going into it. But the, the personal favorite that I that we played is Mega Monopoly. So it adds like an additional space to each group of properties. There's um, an additional card called the bus ticket that you can move forward um, within that row. There's an additional die. Um, essentially just adds uh, an extra of everything. So it's a really interesting way to play it. So you said you were fond of house rules with categories. Did you guys do a lot of house rules with Monopoly as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the biggest one that kind of sticks out to me is the, the jail system, because in jail, you're uh, technically supposed to collect rent, but uh, that's shut down very quickly, um, especially when you get into the mega monopoly where you can kind of force your way into jail. They're like, yeah, no, you're in jail. You do nothing but exist. Okay. So that was the biggest one. And there's a few others yeah. here. Okay. So you said that you're originally from Cedar Springs, Michigan, which is just north of Grand Rapids. What What was it like your time there? Um, it was all right there. Um, it's a, you know, smaller town, you know, it's not, it's not Traverse city size. It was nice in the sense that you weren't always, you know, cramped cause I didn't live in the city. I wasn't cramped up near, you know, people in terms of like an apartment complex or, um, there wasn't people everywhere, which is always some for me, something that's nice just to kind of, cause it allows, um, like we talked about earlier, uh, a little bit of that seclusion that, um, sometimes is just kind of necessary. Was it nice having Grand Rapids nearby though, for just having a big city like that nearby? I mean, yeah, it always helped. Um, especially when you have, if you run into things where, you know, Cedar doesn't offer, cause Cedar's not massive. So, um, if you ever wanted to go say to a, a nice restaurant, um, say to go on a date, uh, there wasn't a lot of options in Cedar. So you, you would go, you know, to your Grand Rapids medical reasons, or, you know, there's, it offered a lot more than what Cedar could. Okay. Your second game is a classic. It was designed by Anthony Pratt in London while he was stuck in bomb shelters during World War II. It was first published in 1949 as Cluedo, uh, but now it's currently published by Hasbro, and of course it's Clue. Uh, why would you bring this one along to Snowmageddon? It's another one of those thinking games, and I, I like the thinking to it. Um, so I, for people who don't know how to play Clue, the premise of the game is that there was a murder, and you were trying to figure out who killed the person, where they killed the person, and with what they killed the person. Um, and so you would, you know, go back and forth in the room, you would, you would want to say interrogate people. It's essentially a, a murder mystery party, um, but on a table. I like that aspect of the, the solving the crime, the, uh, you know, trying to rationalize the, the potential identity. Um, that to me is always intriguing. And it's, it's also one of those games that's always, you know, it's, going to be different there's not the same outcome every time similarly these categories how you know you're not going to have the same thing every single time so it's nice to have um differentials in it whereas a game like you know monopoly it's always i'm going to gather everything and be a tyrant like that's the end game every single time you play it so it's it's nice to have that the, the differences in uh, in a game so do you like this game because you like murder mysteries or do you like this game because of how it makes you think? It, definitely the, the thinking aspect of it is what intrigues me the most. I like murder mystery parties. Those are always fun. I, I kind of subconsciously do that. And I think a lot of people do when they watch uh, you know, any crime show. They're trying to figure out who done it. So it's, you know, that's something I enjoy doing. But the, the thinking aspect is definitely what drove me to, to choose the game itself. Let's talk a little bit about your current situation. What brought you to Traverse City? I moved to I moved to Ohio um, early last year with the intention on uh, going to school down there, which I did end up doing. I, I uh, started at Columbus State Community College, and uh, the school was wonderful, but it's Ohio and nothing else was. So <laughs> I very much was like, all right. Uh, and I was feeling a bit homesick. I missed my brother, so I said, you know what? Maybe I'll 
I'll head back to Michigan and see what schools are, you know, what are my options up there. And uh, NMC, I've got some family that live in Traverse City and NMC looked quite appealing um, in terms of the program and the transfer and affairs. So I was, I talked to my grandparents and they said I could stay with them. So I moved up here and started uh, finishing the, uh, currently the associate's degree. What program are you in? What are you studying? Social work. And how did you pick that? Um, I enjoy helping people. Oftentimes, you know, you run into kind of a situation where, you know, there's two sides of the coin. And so people, when they grow up, they struggle with things and they kind of look at it in one of two ways. Ordinarily, obviously, there's it, I can't categorize people in two categories, but I'm going to for the sake of this conversation. You run into people who think I felt that way and I don't want anybody else feeling that way. Or you kind of run into people who are like, well, I felt that way. So why can't they? You know, it's like I've gone through it so they can, too. Almost like an equality thing. I am the the former. I, I very much feel I've been through that. I didn't want anybody else feeling like that. And uh, I, I, I can't say that I, I was you know a counselor because obviously I'm not licensed and I've never done that. But, you know, and throughout, you know, high school, even into uh, now, I very much helped people kind of rationalize their thoughts um, and help them get through some some hard times. And it's something I very much enjoy doing. I mean, you're my second social worker in this podcast. And so um, is that characteristic something that brings you to games or is that just your personality and it doesn't really have that much to do with it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a I would say the two are mutually exclusive uh, for me, at least. Um, and that's because I'm a completely different person when I play some sort of game because I'm very competitive. And uh, oftentimes if I'm playing a game and I'm real competitive about it, I'm not the nicest person about it. And that's definitely not what you want in a social worker. Um, okay. <laughs> so there's definitely two separate fields in, in my life. Okay. So, uh, you said that you're a professional wrestling fan and, uh, oh. that you once attended a tryout. So, uh, yeah. were you trying out or were you just watching? I, I did the tryout. Um, when I was in Ohio, um, I was working for my dad at the time and, uh, there was a, it just conveniently a pro wrestling school just down the road. And so uh, I went down there one day just to, to give it a shot. I was, I was actually intending on doing that uh, for a much longer time period and actually going through with the training and whatnot, um, which is something I might still do out of just curiosity uh, more than anything. But um, for one reason or another, it didn't, it didn't work out when we were, when we were talking about it. And so um, they said, you know, you can't do the, you know, we can't get the training. Obviously it's going to work out for the two of us, but we can do, you know, some sort of tryout to just see what you think of it. And I said, all right, yeah, no, you know, that works. And so I'm not in any sort of, you know, exercising um, clothing or anything. So I'm, you know, in jeans and a sweatshirt and, you know, I got a baseball cap on and they're like, okay, now you're about to do this very physical activity. I said, okay, sure enough, whatever. Um, so I get in the ring and they teach me how to, uh, the first thing they teach me is how to lock up. So it's, you know, you uh, wrap your left hand around the back of the person's head. Uh, they will do the same. And then you put your right hand on their arm and you kind of just like toggle back and forth for a little bit. For those who don't know and then so we did that they taught me how to properly do it for the uh for the professional wrestling aspect and then the next thing that they were saying was okay now you're gonna we're gonna teach you how to bump which uh in the wrestling world means that you will fall uh, that's the landing is the actual bump so they taught me how to standard bump which is essentially just falling on my back there's a proper way to do it where you'd like tuck your chin in and there's a proper way to get back up to essentially let everyone else know that you're okay and you didn't you know die so i did that and I was like, oh, this isn't, you know, this isn't bad. And then all of a sudden he's like, okay, now we're going to slam you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like my wise, oh, my jaw dropped. I'm like, yeah, we're just going to slam you. 
I think casually this like six, six, you know, easily 250 pound man just walks up to me. He's like, okay, I'm going to slam you. I'm like, uh, okay, I suppose. And so, uh, he did the slam the first time and I was very much, I don't know how to respond to that when you just get thrown onto a, you know, a pile of, of wood. And so I very much just kind of like stared at the ceiling for a second. And they're like, you all right? And I was like, that was interesting. And so then the, the guy who slammed me says, well, uh, here's where you went wrong. So we're going to do it again. There's the, uh, whoa, uh, what? There's a technique to being slammed. Then you had to learn yeah, something. Yeah. There. yeah. So the way that it would work um, for the particular body slam that they were doing is um, I would put my, my, right hand on kind of their upper leg and i would essentially when i when they would go to lift me i would jump a little bit and i'd push myself up with my right arm on their leg and i'd use that as a, a method of pushing me up and his job was to a hold me in the air and uh spin me so when he slammed me um and then my other thing that i had to do was tuck my head so i didn't you know break my neck so the tucking my head i obviously got right because you know don't want to break my neck but he uh he's saying you know i didn't push off the best um so he decided you know he's going to slam me again uh that one went much better i could definitely feel both of those uh slams just shock through my body and it was it was a lovely little experience to just kind of see what that that feels like so after going through all that do you watch matches differently now yes after having that experience Yes, very, very differently. Because, um, you know, I mean, I was a fan. I was a big fan before. I love it because of the backstage stuff to it. That's very interesting to me, as well as the entertainment in the ring. The, the backstage stuff to me is, is maybe even more intriguing um, because it's a very complex system. And so I knew a lot of the stuff beforehand. So, like, I kind of I had a general idea how the slam worked before I did that. I had a general idea how the bumping and the, the collar and elbow tie up were before I did that. Um, but once I actually did the, the slam, I kind of just sat there for a second. I was like, I see this done all the time, like, you know, 20 times in one match. And I'm just like, I don't, that's oof. That's got to <laughs> suck afterwards. Yeah. Is there a particular wrestler that you're a fan of, or are you just in, a fan of the sport in general? Uh, I am a fan of the sport in general. Um, the, I, I guess my favorite would be a, a guy called the undertaker who's wrestled since, under that name, he's wrestled since 1990. But I think he was wrestling a little bit before that. So I've got to ask, just how choreographed are, is your average match? Or is it just a bunch of techniques that these guys have that they use? So it varies from person to person, just because there are, um, every wrestler has their own style, how they do it. So some people will, before the match, write out exactly what's going to happen to the T. Others will call everything in the ring and they'll just do it all and they'll kind of just wing it. And then you'll get anything in between. The only thing that's kind of guaranteed to be scripted going into the match is the winner. So you just know who they know going into it, who's going to win. And then it's kind of their job to do everything else. And they do that according to however they feel fit. That's interesting. That's an entertaining thing. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So you, you are not only into board games, but also video games. What, what sort right. of video games do you like? Uh, I play a, a wide variety of, uh, of games. So like right now I'm, I'm finally after like three years of my, of a good friend of mine, just bugging me about it. I'm finally getting into Skyrim. Uh, Cause you know, I've got the time. So that that's a real interesting one because I, I haven't done a lot of RPGs. Um, so the only thing I'd done before that was uh, Dark Souls. I played and I was looking into getting another 
RPG type game. And he said, Hey, now is a good time to, you know, do Skyrim. Cause you've got, you know, you're not exactly allowed to go anywhere. Okay, fair enough. So I was playing that and that's a, a really fun game, but I'll play those. Uh, I play a lot of Call of Duty, uh, especially with my family. I like survival games a lot. Um, the go-to is usually Minecraft um, as like the, what people think survival games. Uh, I think my personal favorites, Ark Survival is a good one. Do you play on a console or on a computer or how's that? I play on a PS4 and then I'm slowly getting into computer games. So you also said that you enjoy music. Um, what sort of music do you like? I like variety in life uh, is what I'm gathering, but I'll, I'll listen to all kinds of music. Um, anything from, uh, you know, seventies rock and roll to you know modern hip hop and, you know, anything in between. I, personally will listen more to um to rap than i will anything else just because it's the one i have the most fun singing along with <laughs> okay so you, you like the karaoke aspect of that or whatever oh yeah. oh yeah that's great okay well let's move on to your third game uh which is a paragon of social deduction games it was designed by ted alsbach and akahisa okui and published by bezier games in 2014 Tell us about One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Um, so this is going to be a hard one to, to talk about because I've actually never played it. Um, it's a game I really want to play more than anything. And I just haven't got around to doing it. I haven't had a big enough group to do it with because it's not a game that you can have a small group with. And so it's one that I've been trying to gather a lot of people for and it just hasn't worked out. It's one of the things I'm hoping to do with the uh, Underground Tabletop games here soon, You know, once, the, uh, once I'm allowed out of my house again. But I've seen it played quite a bit, um, so I can give at least a, a brief description on it. Um, you're, you're given a, a character at the beginning, and then you go through a night phase, and your character will have a specific set of actions, or a specific action. And so throughout the night phase, characters will individually do whatever they need, whatever their action is throughout the night. And then at the end of the night phase, all of the, the characters will quote-unquote wake up, and the job of the table is to figure out who the werewolf is or who werewolves are if there's multiple and it's you know i I think it's an eight minute process to try to figure out who who is it and sometimes you need all eight minutes sometimes you can figure it out in you know 30 seconds from what i've seen and it's just one of those things that just looks so appealing that this would the idea of being isolated and having nothing to do it'd be a great experience to try said game yeah that's and i i really appreciate that you brought along one that you haven't played uh that was my criteria when I was choosing the games that I would have brought along too. You finally have time to play something and people around, and you can uh, you can get to this. But this is a this is a good choice for a group like that. So in this game, you kind of have to to lie to people, <laughs> in order to uh, to hide that you're the werewolf or whatever. Is that is that okay for you? I mean, do you? Do you get away with lying okay in a game <laughs> if needs be? Yeah, I I will, you know, I always try to, to lie, cheat, and steal and do whatever, you know, I can, you know, with, within realms of reason, just because, you know, it's something that's fun. It adds a little bit to the game. I, I enjoy things where you have to try to be deceptive because it challenges me, and I think I'm fairly decent at it. Okay, so what role do you think games play in society? Do, do Does playing games matter? I mean, what what's the point of it all? Well, from like a, a scientific standpoint, uh, play as a, as a whole does really matter in a child um, in terms of growing up. So, uh, yes, play playing games would would matter to from a scientific standpoint, um, from a personal standpoint, and from a I guess a logistical standpoint. I, games are very it's a very good way to get people together. You know, it's a good way to 
connect individuals, uh, especially individuals who may not want to connect because it allows them to do so in a world that isn't you know, necessarily reality. So, you know, you say you take Clue, like we talked about earlier, people are playing Clue and you're not really playing, you know, you're not dealing with the real world at that point. You're not dealing with your job or your finances or whatever, uh, you know, drama squabbles there may be. You're, uh, you know, doing the murder mystery aspect of it. And you're, you're essentially talking to a whole other person. And that is where the importance of, of games lie, is that it allows you to come out of that reality with other people. Yeah, exactly. It's that, that social contract. And that's why you can also lie in a game like one night ultimate werewolf and you really shouldn't otherwise but we're all yeah, gonna agree we're absolutely. we're gonna lie to each other now okay so that that's cool yeah that's that's great thank you if you're looking at games to acquire or want to play what uh how do you choose a new game to check out one of the things that i do which i don't know how many people do this I, so i watch a group called achievement hunter now, Achievement Hunter is a group of individuals who play uh, video games, but they've recently started a, a series on their, their website um, called Let's Roll instead of Let's Play. And that's just essentially uh, Let's Play, but with board games instead. And so I watched them play a lot of board games. It's how I discovered Ultimate Werewolf, for example. And I watched them play the board games to see, oh, what, what would be really interesting to try out? Now, when they do it, they're obviously, not only are they playing the game, they're, they're um, in a sense, comedians as well. And so they, um, you know, they're trying to be funny and entertaining during that the game. So that adds to the entertainment value. But there is still the underlying, you know, the actual game is still, you know, there. Uh, it's essentially like a, a prop, if you will. And so that's how I, I find a, a lot of new board games is through them. And then the other method that I would use is word of mouth. I would ask people's opinions. So what what's the main ingredient for your kind of favorite experience while gaming? Is it you know the interaction with people aesthetics or strategy uh, you've talked a little bit about you know liking the thinking part of it but what goes into a really good experience for you when playing a game a good experience i guess what entails how much you laugh because the the thing is so i'm a i'm a big advocate for humor um and i don't think there's a lot of people who aren't advocates of humor but when i when i say that i'm an advocate of humor i mean i i think all situations in life there is some sort of humor that can be brought from it. Whether you ethically agree with it or not, it's a very different conversation. But the humor is still there nonetheless. And so if I you know, can laugh within the context of whatever you're doing, it's the one thing that I guess is consistent. Because every game has its different rules, its different aspects, it has its different um, you know, layers, it has its different levels but, of yeah, uh, right enraging you, depending on what game, like Monopoly, for example, is very common enraging people for some reason. So it's humor is kind of that one thing that's consistent across the board is it's something you can have present and um, it's something that you, it's something that's not dependent on the game. So a lot of the times the board game itself is, uh, like I said, uh, more of a prop, whereas the actual people playing it are really what make the difference. Okay, let's move on to your last game. It's another classic. First published in 1974 by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, Dungeons & Dragons is now completely embedded in our culture. Why do you hope D&D is available in Snowmageddon? Uh, very similarly to uh, Ultimate Werewolf, I haven't played it that much. I, I will say I played it once. A group of my friends got together, um, and they one of their friends were not going to be there. They said, hey, you want to come in and did you join us? So I did. I had a blast doing it, and I figured, you know, this is something I would absolutely do again, you know, if, if you know, invited to do so. So it's, again, one of those things that's like, I've, I, haven't ex I haven't had the entire experience of, of Dungeons & Dragons, and I think that's something that Snowmageddon can really, would really allow, um, especially because it's one of the games that would take the longest 
So, you know, you have theoretically, if all you're doing is playing board games, Dungeons and Dragons realistically would take, you know, it could take a, a week of that time. So that's one of the other aspects of, of me bringing that specific game is how long it would take and how um, how much of it I just haven't you know opened myself up to yet. So given that first experience, do you think you would like to play the role of the dungeon master and be in charge of everything, or would you just like to play and take on the role of a character in the game? I I don't think I would even touch dungeon master until I'd finished an entire you know thing on my own um, as just a character. The idea of essentially I, I like the dungeon master is essentially the guy who plays God, and that's mm-hmm. like, that's just a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, what would you like to see next for tabletop games in general, or for your own experience? Do you have any things that you'd like to try besides these ones that you've talked about today? Well, I, you know, one of the obvious kind of things that you when you notice with tabletop games, at least I've noticed it, which is like to decline in them because of video games. So, it's like, yeah, the video games. So why do you need the tabletop games? It almost feels. Um, archaic in a way and that is something that i don't know it just it bothers me because i think it's a it's a completely different um atmosphere playing the two i th- i think the uh the board games and, and tabletop games in general just allow you to um connect more with the people that you're playing with so you know i, I keep referring to the, the analogy of it's it's like a prop for something else whereas the video games are more of a you know an interactive movie so I, you know, I always separate the two because I think they're very different things in our culture that I think are lumped in together because they're both, you know, games. So I'd like to see, I'd love to see more people play tabletop games. It's very hard to find people who will play board games is what I've come to like realize, which is something why, or one of the reasons I love uh, tabletop underground uh, group is just because, or not group, but I don't know, I don't know how you would work. It started as a group. So tabletop underground started as a group and then moved on to its own business, but that's good. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I appreciate them is because it allows uh, people who share that interest to get together when it's something that is an interest I feel like is dying off. And it just makes me sad sometimes. Don't worry about it too much because if you use Kickstarter as a measure at all, tabletop games have raised a lot more money on Kickstarter than video games, for example, and a lot of other things too. So anyway, so right now uh, we're all at home kind of uh, stuck in not snowmageddon, but in the virus situation. Uh, what's what's your situation with school and stuff like that? Is it just totally on hold now until this goes by or are you still having to do classes and stuff online? Yeah, so everything got switched over to uh, online courses, which isn't my ideal situation. I, I very much am a person of interactivity. You can't really do that a lot online, especially in a public speaking class. That's been real interesting since uh, since all this started. But uh, the classes for me are still going on. My brothers are up here for the however long we're going to be quarantined for because their school, because they're still in the, the K through 12, their school is entirely canceled. So they're kind of just, you know, existing through it. Uh, my workload in terms of school has kind of gone down a little bit, but it's still there. But outside of that, it's been just a thing that's existed. Well, hang in there. I hope uh, hope you can still learn something oh, in yeah. this situation. Okay, my last formal question for you is uh, the snowmobile on its way to wherever you were in Snowmageddon had to cross a river, and it, it did it hit the far bank. And three of the games that you chose bounced out into the river and were washed downstream. So as you unpack, which game, if there is only one left, do you hope came along? Of the four, I would, not because I enjoy the game anymore, um, but I would say the Dungeons & Dragons uh, game just because of its replayability. 
I think that would be the one that could get you through the the however long the Snowmageddon would be uh, easiest. Yeah, that's an excellent choice. So you can do just about anything with that. So that's that's pretty awesome. Okay, well, Corbin Wagner, it's been great talking to you today. Uh, really appreciate you being here. And uh, thanks a lot for joining us in Snowmageddon and talking about your games. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon. Thanks again to Corbin for being a good sport. Links to the games and other things we discussed can be found on the podcast website, gameinsnow.com. Website hosting is sponsored by Archipelago Creative LLC, makers of Mackinac Island treasure hunt card and board games at MackinawTreasure.com. This nice music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Look for more episodes of the podcast at anchor.fm slash game and snow. And if you have any comments about this show or want to suggest or be a guest, please email me at gameinsnow at gmail.com. I'm Jim Maratsky. Thanks for listening. <laughs>